Welcome to the Adamantium Podcast, episode number 99. Welcome back, Adam Antimaniacs. I am your host, Adam R. Harrison. Thank you for tuning in today to our Great Gretzky episode of the Adamantium Podcast. That's episode number 99 and one off from the big hundo. And we've got just an absolutely awesome episode for you today. Possibly my favorite stay home episode so far. The stay home episodes being the ones that aren't done in person. They're done uh, over Zoom or some kind of web chat due to the coronavirus pandemic. And of course, I hope everyone listening is safe and well. So for this episode, we invite back one of my absolute favorite guests from the first season, and that is singer-songwriter, guitarist, entertainer galore, Barnes Courtney, back on the podcast, which is kind of a crazy numbering coincidence, that being that this is episode number 99, and one of Barnes Courtney's biggest hits to date is called 99. And actually a song that we talk quite a lot about on this podcast because it, it's about a, an era in life that we both lived. And I was so glad I was able to get Barnsley back on the podcast because we had so much fun the first time. And although it's not, it's not quite the same as when you're in the same room as someone, but we had about just as much fun as you can over a Zoom chat. Barnsley even got out the guitar a couple times, which is super cool. And the timing was really perfect as well because... Barnes just released a surprise EP this past Friday, July 10th, called the Hard to Be Alone EP, which is definitely very relevant to this pandemic time that we're living in right now. And in fact, the album was made in in quarantine, and I've had a little listen to it already, and it is just as good as you expect from Barnes. Courtney, it is uh, a little bit stripped down from what you would expect from Barnes, um, but it kind of gives you this other side of this kind of crazy rock and roller that you're that you're used to. If you haven't seen Barnes Courtney live, then you have you have to. Uh, if you're a fan of rock and roll music, his music is kind of one aspect of him, and his live performance is another whole aspect, and. He is just a fantastic performer. So next time, you know, you know, granted when touring continues again, if you get the chance to see Barnes Courtney in your town, definitely get yourself a ticket. I wouldn't be surprised if this guy just absolutely blows up one day, metaphorically speaking, but maybe physically speaking too, because he's a little bit, he's a little bit of a nutter as well. But already his music is used uh, in so many commercials and movies and on television. So be a Barnes fan now, that way, 10 years down the road, you can be that person who's like, oh yeah, yeah, I've been a fan of this guy for forever. And that seems like a somewhat decent segment into the Adamantium Recommend segment. And what that is, is for new listeners to the artist or the podcast, we like to give some song recommendations. So if you're not as familiar with the artist, you can have some songs to check out before or after the interview. I often like to kick off the recommend segment with a new song. So I'm first going to recommend the song Hard To Be Alone from the new EP. And then going back to his other two albums, man, it's hard because he's got a lot of good tunes. We'll stick to the to the main ones. So from his last album, 404, I'm going to recommend the songs 99 that we mentioned earlier. And I'm also going to recommend the song London Girls. And then going back to his debut album, The Attractions of Youth, I'm going to recommend the songs Glitter and Gold and then the very first song that I got introduced to Barnes with, and that is the song Fire. And that should give you a good taste, but really listen to both albums and the EP because they're all awesome. 
And today, if you are tuning into the podcast for the very first time, first of all, welcome. Thank you for joining us. We would love to have you back. While you're here, why don't you move that finger over to that subscribe button and just push on it a little bit. And if you're feeling a little extra generous today and want to do your good deed of the day, you can leave us a nice tasty rating and review. You can also follow The Adamantium Podcast on social media. We're on Instagram at The Adamantium, on Facebook at The Adamantium Podcast, and we're on Twitter at Adam R. Harrison. And that's all for now, and we'll get things moving right into the interview because we have a good length chat with Barnsey coming your way. So without further ado, here's episode number 99 of The Adamantium Podcast featuring Barnes Courtney. Have a great week, everyone. Be well, stay safe, and we will see you soon for episode 100. Hello. There we are. Hey, how you doing? Good, man. How you doing? Oh, I'm good, thanks. Uh, I'm pretty baked, if I'm honest. If I'm, if I'm totally honest, I am... Sailing into the future right now. <laughs> Very nice. Was it uh, a long night? I guess so. Yeah, well, it's quite nice not having anywhere to be. I can just kind of exist on whichever plane that I like, whatever time zone. That's true. I heard the uh, I heard the pubs reopen there too. So they did. Although I've specifically and deliberately put myself far away from any civilization. Yeah, ensconced in my parents' house in uh, the back ends of Suffolk County. So. I've done this on purpose to try and force myself to work. Uh, however, I severely underestimated my hedonistic mindset and have succumbed in many ways to its charms. <laughs> very nice, man. Very nice. We met about almost, it was probably about two years ago, almost. You were opening for the Wombats. Oh, yeah, I remember. Oh, my here, God. Here in yeah, Toronto. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we were, it was at the Danforth Music Hall. Mm-hmm. Here in Toronto, and we were like shoved into. I guess they only have really have one dressing room there. Yeah, so I guess the wombats had it, and me and you were basically like shoved into like a closet. Oh, I loved that wombats tour. That was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a great show. It was a great show. Um, oh, thanks, man. Yeah. Oh, I. Re- I mean, I was already a fan, but uh, and live is Barnes Courtney's like uh, something to experience. It's uh, it's a it's a great show. It's where I feel most myself, where I feel like, you know, even if I've written songs where the genres differ quite dramatically, they all seem to sound like one thing on stage and it all kind of fits together. Like everything I've been trying to get out of my head feels like I can more easily put it across to an audience in a live scenario. Yeah. Um, I was I was bummed I missed because you were I think you were here last year as well um, on a headlining tour. But I think I was out of town at that point. That was a um, fun show. Yeah, that was a fun show as well. Yeah, yeah. And you're supposed to be here actually this month doing a show with some 41 and uh, Third Eye Blind. Would have been insane. Dude. Yeah, I, yeah. I Especially read some 41 for like some 41 is like they're from they're from Toronto. They're actually from a little town just outside Toronto. Oh, so they're like our the hometown heroes. My 14 year old existence. So me too. Me, me too. Fat lip. That was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, so tell me, man, I mean, obviously 2020, uh, plans obviously had to change. <laughs> I'm so grateful that they did. I was burnt out 
I really love eh? touring. I mean, it's my favorite thing in the world, you know, <laughs> on the road with your best friends, like exploring city after city and seeing all different kinds of people. It's it's great. I feel like an adventurer, but after five years in a row, it just like really hit me so hard and I was just exhausted. Yeah. You know, and I, I came back and I was like, oh, I've got like three months to write my whole next record, but I just don't feel like I have any music inside of me. Right. And um yeah, so, so thank God that I've had this time to to rest because it was going to be straight back on the road. Right. Um, so tell me how you were able, how you refocused your attention or your energy, um, you know, when all this kind of started and obviously you had to start changing plans. Well, I smoked a lot of weed. A <laughs> lot. I got really fat, <laughs> like super and like well, all the exercise I do on stage keeps me pretty trim usually. So it was like, you know, it was a powerful effort that I made to go the other way. You know, I just <laughs> felt like Jim Morrison in the final years, you know, like <laughs> eating ice well, cream what, directly. What age are you now? Because I hope uh, I'm too old. I'm I was going to say you made it past the curse. Yeah. So you're okay. You're okay then. Well, I don't know. I, I quite would have liked to have been a world famous rock and roller and died at the age of 27. <laughs> would have been something quite poetic and whimsical about that. As we found with previous uh, members of the 27 Club. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, we, I mean, I know, so this, this, this won't come out till next week. So I kind of got a, a little bit put in the loop that you are releasing a surprise EP at the end of the week. Yes. I'm really this, excited. This isn't, this isn't coming out till next week. So um, feel free if you want to chat. I just wanted to ask you kind of what, was it always a plan to release something at this point or was this one no. of your, that you were refocusing your attentions? No, I, I just, you know, I, I came back off tour and, and all these songs that have been bouncing around in my head for years okay. um, just kind of appeared, you know, and like I wrote, uh, one or two new ones and my, i don't know my writing process just changed you know I, because uh it kind of sent me back to my roots and to the introspective like singer songwriter acoustic yeah. guitar with stuff and um i'm excited to get some of that out on a record i quite would have liked for it to be an album okay but, uh, i just wasn't sure if i'd have time i didn't know how long this was going to last so i thought well mm-hmm. i just want to make sure that something's out before i hit the road again Mm-hmm. Um, and make sure something finished. I mean, I probably could have done a whole record. Um, because yeah. <laughs> I got an album of sort of you know slow contemplative songs, but um, so this so this EP is more of a like a stripped down version of of Barnes Courtney than maybe we're used to. Yeah, I mean, some of it's stripped down. I'm not supposed to even announce it until next week. God damn it. Yeah, I mean, obviously, whatever you're well, I, I'm it's one of your management spilt the beans to me but they i said they had said to me you know as long as you're not releasing this till after it comes out so well but feel they, free i mean if there's anything you can't talk about that's that's totally cool too oh it'll be fine it'll be fine fuck <laughs> <laughs> it okay. yeah so no this, they're, they're uh they're quite stripped back apart from the last song on the record which is mm-hmm. um a much richer production i would like to have done that one with with real strings but i think we we did a pretty good job of uh making it work just in my dad's house, you know, in the homemade studio. And there's something nice about building things, you know, in your house. Yeah. I was going to say, so did you always have a a studio at home or at your, at your folks place? 
No, no. My parents, I mean, <laughs> my stepmom used to hate my guitar so much <laughs> that she would convince herself she could hear me playing it at night. And my dad would burst in at like one in the morning, like, oh. <laughs> 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 so, uh, yeah, there was, there was nowhere to play. Uh, and I guess that's why I got into sort of acoustic songs at the beginning of my uh, love affair with, with music more than anything else. Cause that's what I was doing. I was playing, I couldn't play loud. I just play quietly in my room to yeah. myself. Um, even though I was in a bands like some 41 and, uh, and green day and, you know, Zeppelin and Arctic monkeys. So, so yeah, but uh, they moved and I came back here. I thought I was just escaping uh, a terrifying Chinese style lockdown in <laughs> London. I, you know, I thought I was going to be chained to a lamppost or something. Yeah. So I, I called my dad and I decided to come back here and uh, that it, here I am like three, four months later. Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah but, I mean, it's, it's good. Luckily he moved. So he's got like a big annex where they just had like a bedroom and we just filled it with studio equipment. So we're Fantastic. good to go. Wow. That's, um, that's pretty cool. Um, so now does I, you're, are they, they, are they still there? Or you said they moved out. My parents, they, uh, they moved out of their first house into a new one. Oh, gotcha. So this is now kind of like your studio. Home yeah. Studio. I mean, you know, I, I miss London and I miss like seeing people, but I just, I know if I go back, I'll get too distracted. I need to be right. completely removed from everybody so that there's nothing to do apart from music. So you think you'll have some celebrations once it's out? Yeah, you know what? You're right. I think it's super important to celebrate when you, and I never do that. You know, I never do. Like, I remember when I got my first like top five at alt and I was just like, shit, it wasn't number one. <laughs> <laughs> wrote some more songs. Uh, but you're right. It's important to celebrate every, everything that you put effort into to encourage yourself to do it again. Well, I think it's a good time. Well, now that you're, you know, allowed to see a handful of people or whatever it is too, you know, you can, uh, you know, go take to the streets yes. of London. Oh, that would be nice actually. Yeah. That would be good. What would I well, do there? The, uh, yeah. Would I would you have any favorite, sort of... Do you have any favorite spots in London? Uh, hmm. I mean, my, my flat in Camden was pretty decent. That's a good, that is a good spot to be. Yeah. It was like five minutes from the, from Camden station and like just a slew of pubs that surround yeah. it. And, uh, so that was pretty good. You know, I always you remember, I've been to Camden twice and I always remember that there's that crazy like rave store the giant yeah, robot cyber, cyber dog that's it yeah mm. yeah that is yeah, a, that place that is an interesting place <laughs> i've never bought anything from there ever yeah well also it's like it's like very expensive too i went and like had a look around the last time i was there it's because it's a tourist trap and they know right it. but it's very, their store does look cool you it can't does do look that. cool i was very tempted to buy led uh eyebrows the last <laughs> They have LED eyebrows. Yeah, I saw. I was like, I was like, well, how many occasions am I really gonna <laughs> have a chance to wear LED eyebrows? But there's a. Um, I probably should have bought them. You should have. We both should have, buddy. We both. Yeah. We really missed out. Next time. Next time. But yeah, it's great, Camden. You can walk along uh, 
the lock. And I mean, it's like hundreds of years old. So it's all like tiny bricks. It looks like you stepped into mm. Diagon Alley. Yeah. And there were all different people, like shady people hanging out under the bridges, you yeah. know, <laughs> like gangs of uh, goths and like, you know, punks and emo kids and uh, yeah. skinheads. And it's great. And you can just walk along the canal. It takes you right through the middle of the busy market. Yeah. And then you can keep going for miles and miles and miles and see all the river boats. And uh, if you just pass the, the market, walking along the sort of tunnels, I suppose, then uh, there's a really nice area where they have loads of very quintessentially English cafes. Mm -hmm. like really like, you know, they've got like a florist and an old bookshop and then like all these little cafes. Um, some of those like riverboats even, there was like some riverboat bookshops I even noticed. And yeah, oh, I love those. No, yeah. I haven't seen one in my Kansas. Cousin lived one in uh, King's Cross, I think, that I've seen. Yeah, before. my cousin was at King's Cross, like right along the canal. So yeah. Yeah. That's cool, man. I mean, last time, uh, last time we hung out, ninety nine had just this. You had just released the single, ninety nine, um, and now it's like almost almost two years later. I can't believe it's been two years. Yeah, man. yeah, and it's and it's your highest. It's high, your highest charting song now. Did you expect that much from that song when you were putting it together, or or what? How do you reflect on that song now? Yeah, I really didn't. You know, I really didn't, and. Uh... It's so funny the way things turn out because mm -hmm. I never expected Glitter and Gold to be my highest streaming song either. You know, I recorded that in my friend's bedroom. He was renting out this like 300 pound a month uh, office in a decommissioned old folks home. You know that story? I don't think you told me one last time about Fire where you were basically because Fire was my favorite song. The first song I ever heard by you and you were telling me how you you know, played off garbage cans and everything for, yeah. So yeah. Tell me about glitter and gold. Well, it's the same deal. So like, but that place was knocked down, but uh, it's funny. Cause I didn't spend any money recording that track, uh, huh. you know, like at all. And it was done on one microphone, like all the parts. So it's funny that it's, uh, did so well. And then with 99, I just remember thinking like, Oh, if I could just get people to pay attention up until the pre-chorus, then I'm good. But, you know, it's just the, that verse. I didn't feel like it was drawing me in because it was only acoustic and vocals. Yeah. And I, I just, when I listen to it, I don't feel like it's going to go anywhere. If I put myself in the shoes of someone who's never heard it, it, it just sounds like it's going to be acoustic all the way through. And it's not compelling enough in that medium to, to keep my, my attention. And I was trying to add stuff in, but it, of course in music, wherever you add things in, they detract from the next movement of the song, from the growth of the song. So if you add in, you know, five instruments for the beginning of your tune, then it has nowhere to go. You have to bring it back down mm -hmm. if you're going to get a sense of growth. So I'm trying to get this song to build from the verse to the pre to the chorus, but the pre is so minimal that anything I add to the verse uh, was just giving everything away. You know, I was ruining the, the feeling of progression of the song. Um, and I was going to give up, and I didn't really think of it as a, as a single. Um, but then I had this idea just to add like one bass note under the verse. You know, like, mm. And uh, it kind of tricks the ear and makes you think that, that bass note is changing notes when it's not really. I was just going. Mm. 
that like suddenly was was building tension like right from the get go, and uh, it all came together and we put it out as a single. But I don't know if it would have done well if it weren't for that. That's so that's so interesting, eh? How one single note could make make made the song for you. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I think without that, I just switched off so quick. I was just, I was just bored. I was like, oh, this is just an acoustic thing. But that one note at the beginning, just, it gives you the promise of more to come. And we, we did little tiny things like, uh, mm-hmm. like in the verse, hot, strong, young and dumb. Yeah. We had no fear way back when we said we both be millionaires. And we put like a little, boom, 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 just a yeah. little ear candy to let you know, like, Hey, like there's more coming. There's more in the way. Well, and even that, like, uh, uh, that, like, keyboardy riff that's mm. in the chorus is almost, it's almost like, to me, it's like almost part of the lyrics. It, uh-huh. it took us forever. I had that song for four years. Really? I wrote it. I wrote it for the first album. Um, and I just had it sitting around and, like, I just, I just needed something. I couldn't figure out what it was. Yeah. And then maybe, like, a year before my next record, I was like, oh, okay, I know what it needs. It needs a synth hook in the chorus yeah. um because i was trying to do the hook with the chords the uh, but it wasn't really working and then you know i love going out to uh random houses in the middle of nowhere to get away from it all when i'm writing so we went to sam's parents house i don't know if you know sam bartle he's in a, a project called look mom no computer they make amazing synthesizers okay um and Barnes Courtney is basically a band between me and him. We've been working okay. together and like, you know, signed to different record deals since we were like 18. Gotcha. Um, okay. But we were, we drove ourselves nuts. We were like, ah, oh. we were driving ourselves crazy trying to think of this hook. Like, just what is it? Oh my God. What is it? Like just sat in a room all day, every day, you know, like get up, sit in the room, eat lunch, eat dinner, go to bed, wake up, go back to the room. Like, you know, I was like under a chair in the fetal position, yeah. literally just like, oh my God, like, what is it? And as, as a musician, you know, like so many of my inspiration just feels like it comes out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Like I had nothing to do with it. Right. You know, it's just like a, but I'm like, I don't know if I'm ever going to write this. Like, I know it needs that, but I don't know if it's ever going to come. And then uh, we tried about a thousand hooks and suddenly Sam sung, um, ah, you know, like that. Uh, Morricone. Yeah. yeah. And it, it just felt like something in my brain, like, you know, there was like an, an actual switch that I could physically feel like just yeah. flick. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, it's. Ah, um, and that was that. And oh my God, we were so. It kind of just hit you. Songwriting does that to you, you know? You yeah. feel like you're the, a fucking genius one day. I had the best yeah. songwriter in the world. And the next minute, you're like, why do I even do this? I got this <laughs> <laughs> it was worth the wait, though. It was definitely yeah. worth the wait. Yeah, so it was, it was cool that, that it finally came out like that. Because a lot of songs, I, I feel like I never quite... I felt the same thing for another track on the record called London Girls. Like, that needed yes. a... Yeah, that's one of my other favorite on the chorus. Like but I, ne- I could never think of the hook. You know, I drove yeah. myself nuts in hotel rooms, like walking around in my underwear. Uh, and uh, yeah, man, that's one of my favorite songs from that album too. Yeah, thanks, man. I, I really like, 
It reminds yeah. me kind of like um like a almost like a seventies style like classic punk song. Um, I, was, I really wanted it to go that way, and I regret yeah. putting a synth in there because there's this kind of synth you don't even notice, you know, arpeggiating thing. And uh, it, it really ruins the sort of chugging of the track. Okay. But when we play it live and I take that synth out, it yeah. suddenly sounds a lot more mean and aggressive. Yeah. Well, you have to put out a live version now. Yeah. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. I'll put out a live version. Yeah. Because just as an artist, like, uh, I know that people have heard it already and nobody's going to care. They're not going right. to be like, oh, I forgot to say that. But <laughs> just for me, you know, I just want it to yeah. be out there as I intended. Well, yeah. I mean, it was funny last, I mean, uh, I also wanted to ask you because one another one of my favorite songs from 404 because it was so unique and different from the rest of the songs was actually the song Babylon. Yeah. And it had oh. such a different vibe and and it was it's it's not like things people really put out now. And so I really appreciated that tune. So I wanted to ask you what was like the influence behind that track. Well, I mean, Sam and I we always just get in a room and we just sit there for about 12 hours a day. Mm-hmm. And don't do a lot of anything else. Just like, you know, making shit and just waiting for stuff to come out. And it was, you know, it was another one of those that it just kind of appeared. I think it's almost, you know, like somebody's watching you and they're like, oh, he's been sat there for like two and a half weeks and it doesn't have, let, let's give him something. Go on. Go on like, give him, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's throw, throw a bone. So it just kind of appeared out of nowhere. And um, I was on this track. I was like, you know, look, Sam was saying to me at the time, you know, this doesn't sound like glitter and gold, like your first record. And I was just like, well, we got into this to have fun, you know, like yeah. this is supposed to be fun. This is supposed to be us like expressing ourselves. Like, why don't we just, just make whatever comes and just accept it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a tough decision. Cause I, I often worry about my fans and I'm like, Oh, I don't want to isolate people who supported me to get to where I am today, you know, by putting out such a different record as Babylon and some of the other tracks on the... Right. But look at, like, for instance, that the song that I fell in love with with your music was Fire, which doesn't sound anything like Babylon or mm. London Girls, but I love both those tracks, you know? Well, I'm... I'm I think your I'm fans are, are a fan of, of your mind, you know? Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd hope so. I mean, you know, the, it's it's hard to tell. I mean, that album... I guess needs to be out for a little while longer before I can get a general consensus of mm-hmm. it. But I, I get artist guilt. I'm like, oh man, I don't want to. All those guys that supported me when this I was is a balancing music. act. Yeah, putting out what you want to put out, putting out what you think your fans want to hear. And, and of course, if you're not expressing yourself and trying to, you know, be truthful, then you're a hack. So there's no point in trying to guess what people want, you know. Right. But I still, I still felt guilty. I was like, I hope, hope all those people who uh, were instrumental and letting me have this amazing job weren't oh. disappointed by the the varying styles on the next one no man that's i just told you i babylon was 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 one of my favorite tracks on that album it kind of came out vaguely like a klaxons track i thought yeah um, okay well it's yeah. funny because I, I i'm the type i appreciate i mean i come from toronto where i grew up on rush and rush would put out songs like i'm sure you've heard yyz that is like it's an instrumental song that feels like it has lyrics the whole way through, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't have anything against rush. I just, I never delved into that particular band a huge amount. No eh? I mean, they're very much, uh, I used Canadian to know. And, super into rush. Yeah. It's, there's a really, there's a really, yeah, I mean, I know, I know. Go ahead. 
I know of them, obviously, and you know they're famous washing machines. They always play with, yes, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and I know uh, that they're very famous, and I've heard some of their songs. Um, but yeah, I don't know. They're, it's funny, isn't it? It took me years and years to get into Zeppelin as well. You know, it wasn't until really. I was like, well, why do you think that was? I don't know. It's it's funny, isn't it? You just kind of like. Yeah for whatever reason, I never got around. And then one day I just listened to all their stuff back to back and yeah. totally, I mean, same with the Beatles, man. You know, I'd, I'd heard like one or two Beatles songs and then it, it wasn't until one day when I was like 19, when I was like, I'm going to listen to everything they ever did. Yeah, more of this. Yeah. <laughs> and then became obsessed. But I mean, that's everyone's, uh, you know, it doesn't mean if you're a rock and roll, you don't have to like everything that's, you know, classic. I'm to be honest, I'm not the biggest Pink Floyd fan. But oh, uh, I love Pink Floyd. I think right, right. But and I appreciate it. And listen to Pink Floyd. That's the problem. <laughs> You're not the other thing is, is here. It's like blasphemic here in in Canada. But like I'm not. I appreciate their music, but I'm not the biggest fan of the Tragically Hip. I just yeah. like surely, surely you just haven't heard the right song. Like just, I just can't imagine a scenario in which <laughs> someone wouldn't enjoy that music. Enjoy what Pink Floyd. Yeah, there must be something on there. Right? I do, I do enjoy. Like, I, I, I enjoy that. You know, a lot of their songs. But if I were to, you know, someone were to tell me, tell me your twenty-five favorite bands, like I, I would have twenty-five others. <laughs> they're, they're not the kind of band that you just kind of like turn on for a song, or right? Two. Right. Yeah. You know, they're the kind of band where you're like, I'm going to sit down and commit <laughs> to a right. serious session of Pink but Floyd. Rush was, Rush is kind of like that too, though. You know, like, maybe that's why it's taken me so long to get around 20, to it. Like there's, they have an album called 2112 Overture and the song 2112 Overture is 21 minutes, 12 seconds. And I love shit like that. Yeah, I love that man. Kind of but that's what I was going to say. There's a song, they have a famous song called YYZ that's just, it's like a five minute instrumental and it feels like the whole song has lyrics, but there's not a single lyric in the whole song. And there's like videos of people like mouthing the instruments. Um, just because it's so like iconic here anyways. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Man, we're, we're very lucky to be so into something, you know, it, oh, in, absolutely. In, our, in our futile lives on this planet, we're very lucky to be so like fascinated by, by anything at all. Yeah, that's it. It's, and there's so many things you can be fascinated by just to even pick one. You can delve so deep into, you know, into the nitty gritty. Yeah, it's true. We're locking yourself know. in a room for 12 hours to come up with a hook, you know? And, t- and <laughs> Oh, man, it's, it's exhausting. Me, if I didn't get it in like two hours, I'd be like, forget this song. <laughs> it's never going to work. I think I'm learning more and more, man, that like the best musicians, like oh, Tom Petty, I remember seeing him in an interview talking about how he was trying to come up with a hook for one of his, one of his most famous songs. I can't remember which one it was. Mm-hmm. And it, it's funny, he described that exact same process I talked about with 99. He's like, all my bandmates were out chasing girls and I would just get up, you know, sit down with my guitar, play a few chords. <laughs> oh, it was, uh, Aiden is the hardest part. It was that one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, he was like, I was literally just sitting, but like every day for a month, yeah. it's like, I get, go eat lunch, you know, go eat yeah. dinner, come back. And it's almost like, you know, I, I, and my favorite poet, Dylan Thomas, um, who famously came into America and was asked by customs, uh, 
what is it you're doing here? You know, why are you coming into the United States? And he replied, uh, in my endless quest for naked women in diaphanous Macintoshes. But he, I mean, famously would sit in his garden shed for 14 hours a day and change like two words, you know? So it's almost like, it's almost like it's in all of us, but how bad do you you want want it? it? Yeah. You know, like how, how long are you willing to wait for the muse to fly by in her spaceship right. and touch down and come in and whisper in your ear? Because if you're not sat there waiting, you know, and you're out at the fairground or watching a movie, she might be whispering in your ear, but you're not going to hear her. Right. That's right. the most baked right. thing I've said all day. <laughs> <laughs> and then... She might be in your ear right now, brother, but <laughs> you ain't even going to hear her. <laughs> but the, and then, like, do you... Do you feel like after, like after waiting that long or working that hard on it, do you, do you ever feel like, like, I wonder Tom Petty, cause then Tom Petty had to play the hardest part, probably like every show for the next 30 years. Like, mm. do you ever think he's like, I never should have sat in that shed. Like <laughs> he's got to keep playing. That's an interesting thought. Uh, I wonder. Yeah. I wonder, I often wonder about artists who have been around as long as the Rolling Stones, you know, like, do you really yeah. love playing? They must though. Cause they don't need to work. Right. There's, there's something very I like playing satisfaction for like every night for 40 years. But it's I mean for for me personally, I can't speak for the Stones, but I'm I'm really really deeply in love with uh performance and yeah. uh and putting I on a show. And from the one from the time I saw you, I could tell that, you know. I really love it and I've always loved it even before I was doing it and when I would watch Steven Tyler and Mick Jagger mm-hmm. and you know watch how people would build stages and how they'd put together shows and I just I love like trying to build on the show every night and trying to think to myself how can I amp things up even higher how can I make it more of a special experience for the audience you know mm-hmm. like what what can I do and the show in itself, you think of a show as this like abstract thing, but for me, it's like a woodworking project that I go back to and I tweak and change. And I'm constantly kind of building on trying to add new sections and think like, Oh, you know, that kind of works that show and that didn't work so well. And, you know, I wonder if I could get them all to harmonize with each other. (laughs) Like, you know, just, yeah. I heard that like, Prince used to watch back every single show after his show, which were like three hour shows. That, that is amazing. And yeah. I've heard that Bishop Briggs does that too. Really? Um, I mean, and it's, it's horror. I've, I've done it once and it, it's the worst because like, first of all, you were there. So you know how it ends, you know what happens. Right. It's, it's very dull to watch it when you just did it. Right. Second of all, you know, it's, it's super cringe. And third of all, it is probably the single greatest thing you can do to improve <laughs> your right. show. Yeah. So I actually had this conversation with my manager a few months ago. I was like, dude, I, I think it's time that like, no matter how I feel after every show, uh, I make it a habit just to watch the whole thing. So you do that now too? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I haven't, I haven't toured since I had that inclination. Right. But, um, I but think it's time. One. <laughs> I used to just go out there and wing it. And then, you know, like over time, I'd just kind of feel it out. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me. It's fascinating because it's not just the songs and, you know, how much gusto you play them with. It's like, how do you play with people's emotions in a way that can sort of heighten them right up to the mm-hmm. top? Um, 
you know, it's like how you dress is an important factor, like what you say, um, you know, like right down to how you interact with the band and like which areas of the crowd you pay attention to, you know, it's, it's very interesting. And there's a psychological aspect to it as well, where you're building, uh, psychological compliance you know you start with something very small like hand claps and then um you can graduate up to something that's a bit more of an ask like uh you know non-verbally getting people to raise their hands up just with with gestures and all these things build on top of each other Mm -hmm. you know but the foundation at the bottom has to be very strong because um if you for a moment mess that up if if something you ask of the audience doesn't work then the mm-hmm. spell is broken and this amazing illusion that you're sort of a deified character that can just get people to do things with like the flick of a wrist is it all falls down you know and i love that i love that uh that angle of it where every night like the stakes are so high from moment to moment yeah have you ever found that you were in a situation where you're maybe playing to the wrong audience or anything and you had a hard time with that I don't believe in such a thing as the wrong audience. Okay. Uh, you know, I just, I think if you're good enough, well, you can get them all. Like yeah. every, if you're well, good I, enough. One, one occasion that came to my mind is because, because I do um, photography at a lot of, uh, for a couple of radio stations in the city. And once I was photographing pink mm. and the hives were opening for pink and I love the hives, but there were like a lot of crossed arms, uh, <laughs> in the audience yeah just because they were there to hear like and pink is like kind of punk badass but she's a pop star and you know she does her whole like acrobatic thing and and it was just it just wasn't the right audience i don't think necessarily for the hives because there was a lot of people like you know begrudgingly like what is this noise you know and (laughs) and they're like one of the most entertaining bands to watch i used to watch them when i was a kid i used to write notes if you believe it i used to sit and meticulously yeah. take notes. I'd be like, you know, 14 seconds in this thing. Like, you know, right, when right. he said that and that was cool. They, they had a performance at Pink Pop that I used to watch over and over again. And yeah. I was like, That's this guy. Well, I love that. I went to go see them at a, like a nightclub a few months later. And, uh, but it was just, it just felt so kind of awkward. It was in a stadium setting too, but there was just like all these especially because there was like, you know, children and like, you know, moms that were waiting to hear pink. I mean, I think you can get over a lot of that shit. I personally fucking love it when I come out and people are arms folded. Yeah. It's like a challenge. I I love it. It electrifies me. I'm like, Oh yeah. Come on. fuckers! like, (laughs) yeah. All right. Yeah. Let's do it. it. All right. Um, And it's, and it's great. I I find crowd work is really effective for that stuff. Okay. Like you just keep asking more and more from them. Okay. But, you know, I've, I've fucked up so many times on stage. I don't give a fuck, you know, like yeah. I don't give a fuck. That's my house up there. And that's where yeah. I live. You know, I live there more than I live in the real world. That's right. like it becomes such a cotton wool bed of security for me that like doesn't matter what you guys do. Like I will keep asking for more and more and more. And eventually this like this psychological shift where they're like well i mean he's not it's not working he's not unconfident you know like yeah. nobody's but he's not and it's not like they're deliberately trying to be dicks like 
people are excited by what they're excited by, you know, and they're excited by what they came to see. So I don't begrudge them for that. But I guess what I'm saying is, and then slowly you get more and more people and they're looking around like, well, he's enjoying it. Why am I not enjoying it? Right. Yeah. Interesting, man. Very interesting. Uh, I mean, it's, it's funny because you, you have a whole process to writing the music and then there's a second whole process to performing the music. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I actually find writing the music to be more difficult in some ways because I don't feel like it's something that I can actively build on methodically. It kind of feels like something where I just have to sit and be patient. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's like going fishing. You just sit there with your fishing rod and you're just like waiting around. Right, right. You know, like, I, catch, I feel like, the, yeah, I feel like the performance part probably came pretty natural to you. Yeah. I mean, and the songs, the songs were always just like things that I used to express myself. They were always a catharsis, you know, like I, I'd sit down and write a song more just to sort of like get out what was inside. Um, it was a, a beautiful way to transmute negative emotions, you know? Um, so, and that's the thing, you know, when you're, when you're not a signed musician, you just kind of like the songs just come and you let them out and it's no big deal. Whereas now it's, it's a bit different. Cause you're like, okay, now I'm in a room specifically to write my whole album and I have two months to like, <laughs> to get it down right. before my tour. And like, you know, it's very different. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a hell of a, a talent to have. I know like I, I'm, I'm a drummer, but when I play mess around the guitar, I'm like, I don't know how anyone performs. I literally have to look at the fret <laughs> to play guitar, like, or else I can't, you know, I can't do it. So if I were to perform, I'd be like the most stiff performer because I'd just be standing there. <laughs> well, I mean, you would at first, but then you'd gradually get more and more comfortable until like... Yeah, that- yeah, I can do that more on, on drums because I'm better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, yeah. That's a, the saddest thing about people who feel music inside of them don't realize, you know, there's this, mm-hmm. this myth that you have to be born talented. And I actually think that the greatest talent that you can have is uh is hunger mm-hmm. you know hunger is extremely powerful and people don't realize that it's a gift mm-hmm. um you know i would say that that hunger would probably account for more than talent ever would because if if you really really want it and it's, it's burning a hole in the pit of your stomach mm-hmm. then uh, there's nothing that you can't do there's yeah. nothing that you can't get through consistent time and, and dedication i think through someone you know hearing in, in the previous interview too, some of your backstory too, I think you've kind of, uh, you know, you're a storybook to that, that, that kind of story. I was lucky actually to, to have as much adversity in that time of my life uh, mm-hmm. that I did. I don't know if I, I would have been able to do this for a living without that. Um, no. tell, tell me a little bit, cause you, you kind of uh, explained the difference in process between that, that, that first album and then 404 and uh Tell me a little bit now about the process of making this EP, especially now, like, were you able to work with the band at this time or did you guys kind of have to do everything separately? Yeah. I mean, um, it was, it was very much sort of the basic home setup. Uh, and I was just trying to, I I think I left a lot of the songs very stripped back. Um, I don't know. It just seemed like, like something cathartic to put out i kind of came back and my life now contrasts so heavily with my life on tour and right. the moment of stillness kind of gave all of these demons and emotions a chance to kind of poke their heads up out of the water 
mm-hmm. which, which for me is great. And I love that because then I get to have my process and put all my things out. Um, you know, and a lot of songs that I'd, I'd written years ago that I completely forgot um, even existed kind of cropped up. And I thought, oh, I'll put that down, I'll put that on an EP. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a very different process, I think, just being taken to my like folk acoustic guitar roots more so mm-hmm. than anything. Uh, was was quite nice, and uh, I finished a couple songs that some I've even pl- been playing live, you know, with unfinished lyrics. And so okay. I like rounded off some of those lyrics and, and put them on the EP. So is is the album mostly you, or is the is the full band in the in the album? Um, I mean, I'm one of those guys that would love to have a permanent band, you know, like Barnes Courtney right. and the Black Lungs or whatever. <laughs> um, but you know, it's been tricky. Um, because a lot of session guys come to be session guys. They don't want to tour all the time. Gotcha. They want to tour for like three months of the year and then go back and see their girlfriend and then another three right. months. So, um, But my guitar player, Agam, came and moved in with me, which was nice. So he, he played on some of the record. And then, uh, yeah, I think uh, we had to, I had to leave a lot of it stripped back, apart from the final song in the EP, which I'm excited about. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us what the title is or? I think I'm just going to call it the hard to be alone EP. Okay. Um, you know, but, Very cool, uh, man. Well, I'm excited to hear it. It's Friday, right? I'm too excited. I'm not supposed to tell anybody anything, but I can't. Yeah, well, I, can't. I mean, I won't tell anybody till after it's out. So uh, <laughs> it comes out Friday, right? Is that what... Oh, I don't even know, man. Well, I'd when people are hearing that. this, when people are hearing this, it'll be out. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Um, it was funny that you uh, you mentioned it already because I wanted to ask because I saw that you had posted it on your Instagram uh, was about the passing of uh, legendary composer Ennio Morricone. Yeah, and oh. I found it I found it interesting how you had said he was such an influence on your first album because obviously very different styles. Mm-hmm. Uh, you kind of touched on it a little bit already, but can you uh, kind of tell us how his talents kind of influenced influence your own creativity? I just love the way that he took a very small budget in his early career and used that to his advantage to create some of the most innovative, memorable soundscapes of all time. You know, I love that picture that I posted of him like sat in a, it doesn't even look like a studio. It's like an, hmm. an office room or something with a single microphone surrounded by bits and bobs, like playing the trumpet. Um, that's something that I've emulated in my own work when putting together tracks, just like making tunes out of what's around the room, a lot of found percussion. And that spirit that I really admire uh, that took me so far with the first record in the old folks' home. You know, I mean, and, and his tunes, and for people who don't know Morricone, um, you know, you'll always be familiar with them. <laughs> I mean, how could you not? It's just like so deeply entrenched in our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, all the, you got to remember back in the sixties, all the film scores were incredibly lush and full of huge orchestras. So they had all these sounds to play with and Morricone didn't have any of that to hand because of the budget. So mm. He made a lot of stuff out of vocals, you know? Hey, ha, 
Ooh, oh, and whip cracks and single tremolo guitar lines. And uh, I mean, it's not just me that it inspired. It's a lot of bands, Muse, Radiohead, have both cited uh, Morricone's influences. Very cool, man. Um, you're also one of the last people. I mean, I don't know how closely you guys work together, but you were one of the last people to work with Keith Flint of the Prodigies um, on a yeah, song. That, yeah, that was uh, very bittersweet. I what? never even I never even uh, met any of the Prodigy guys. I just okay. had a track for my first album, and the chorus was originally for this tune on my first record called "Rather Die." And uh, Prodigy asked if they could have it, and I okay. was like, oh, "Shit! Like, of course, you know yeah, what, yeah. what amazing uh, thing to be able to collaborate with uh, this legendary act." Mm-hmm. So, you know, originally, I think it was how did it go? It was like. It was the rather die. It was like, so tell your mama you're a lost cause, cause there's a fever in America. So tell your papa you'll be long gone, cause there's a fever in America. And then they took it and they were like, can you sing that about like eight octaves higher? <laughs> and I was like, oh, I mean, I. I didn't want to say no because I didn't right. want to lose the track because I was so excited about it. So I was like, yeah, yeah, totally, I could do that. And it was like, I, you know, barely hit the notes right at the top of my register. Yeah. Um, and he changed all the lyrics, of course, to be sort of like much more prodigy and like English yeah. sound, which I thought was cool. And then it came out and it was great. And then, you know. So did you record the track on your own and, and send it to them or? Yeah. Yeah. I had to just sing the vocal. I think I was on tour at the time. I was booked okay, to studio. Right bang the vocal in and uh and it over and i was i was in a bad way i I just broke my foot jumping off a stage in milwaukee um (laughs) and it was like a big big stage but and up until that time i really kind of felt not that i would have ever said this to anyone consciously but it made me realize i kind of felt like i was invincible like i was never gonna die and then i broke my foot and i just like i was like oh god i'm so such a fragile being (laughs) like my bones just snap i (laughs) you know and uh and i just remember hobbling into the studio with this broken foot on crutches feeling all (laughs) sorry like trying to come up you know come on barnes gotta get the energy up for this line um and then of course you know keith flint died and that was so sad yeah uh, um and I, I i'll be honest i felt a little bit unworthy of uh of being the last track on that record because i was like god you know the last track of me i guess will be their last record yeah 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 and i was just like oh god but what an honor man and they i mean they they requested it from you it was such an honor and pitchfork yeah. pulled it apart they were like you know oh barnes's vocal adds nothing <laughs> was like, oh, gosh, but man. i wrote i wrote it pitchfork <laughs> <Nothing>. <laughs> yeah well that's you know who who knows it's like some probably schmo who heard it for the first time there was no, nothing of the backstory and just eh, who cares like yeah so i mean it's find anything to worry about. i should i should order one of those discs i mean technically i'm entitled to a prodigy like platinum disc for that record but I, it's yeah. fine it's <laughs> fun i haven't ordered one because i'm like yeah but like would have gotten to number one anyway, <laughs> but I should just get one, man. I don't know what I'm Yeah, why not? why not? I would milk it. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> hey, have you seen the disc? <laughs> yeah, I was in Prodigy for a second. Yeah. That's, I was lucky. I, I, you know, they, 
we have, uh, I talk about this often on the podcast, but growing up, we had, you know, back when compilation albums were a thing in Toronto, we had a, a music station. It was like RMTV in Canada. It was called Much Music. And uh, they, every year they released a big shiny uh, compilation album called Big Shiny Tunes. Big Shiny Tunes 2 was the one that literally every single person in Toronto owned. It was like in 99, I think, 98 or 99. And everyone owned it. And the first track on it is Breathe by The Prodigy. Wow. So, wow. so that's always what I think of, uh, you know, any, uh, any song from that compilation always takes me back to that, that time. And I, I remember was, those compilation CDs, man. They were so yeah. exciting, man. And that, that one specific, like I account that compilation for like a big chunk of my taste in music. They felt more special to me than a playlist for some reason. I guess yeah, it's of course. You, have to, like, you have to go find them and buy them, you know, and, yeah. like pay for them. I guess it's, it's that sort of added, uh, complication in the way that made it feel more special yeah, and i had this story for the the goo goo dolls i had them on my podcast and when i was like nine i had my mom take me around from record store to record store and i was singing iris to like record shop employees trying to figure out what the song was wow. and the tricky thing had been is because the goo goo dolls hadn't released it on an album yet the only thing it was on was the city of angels soundtrack Oh, yeah. So eventually, I think after four or five record stores, it's one guy knew what, like, where it was from, and I, I cocked up like thirty dollars for the for the soundtrack as like a nine year old. It was like four four weeks allowance. Oh man, imagine that sort of quest to go and find a song. Yeah, so, so that I, I had to do. I was like, I, had, I was like, I had to tell them that story, and they on a quest. Yeah, for a yeah I was to find was- Iris. So now, like, every time I hear Iris, it makes me think of, you know, and that's the, the power of music. In- music to bring people back, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy, dude. I mean, when you get older and time speeds up, and uh, I remember one of my fans telling me, like, oh, yeah, you know, that song reminds me so much of being, like, 15. Right. Uh, and I'm looking at this, like, adult person. I'm like, what do you mean it reminds me of being 15? Like, my stuff just came out, like... And then I realized that was like six years ago. Yeah, yeah. No. I think that's why, too, there's that like stereotype of, you know, when, as you get older, you're like, oh, they don't make songs like they used to. But I think a lot of it is because of that nostalgia you hold with the song from back then. It's like you don't have the memories with a song you just heard on the radio, whereas you've carried that, that memory from however many years. Yeah, you're so right. And, you know, it, in a way, it could be so many songs, but... Uh, for some reason, I'm still so grateful when people say that mine's one of those because it just blows my mind. Um, it's really, really, really nuts. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I like I said, Fire was the first song, I, and I, I might have heard it in like FIFA or something like that, yeah, or wherever I first heard, or on a playlist. And man, that song really stuck with me to the you know to the point where you know I I, I you know sought out having you on the podcast now more than once. So. I'm really grateful that you did. I yeah, do really appreciate grateful. it, man. I do appreciate it. Well, me too. I mean, man, I, it, it's it's so easy to get caught up in, uh, you know, not being on the level that you dreamed up when you were a kid as fast as you wanted. But this uh, lockdown has really made me reflect and look at these old videos. And I'm just like, oh, my God, I've just had so much fun. <laughs> like, man, just keep doing what you're doing, man, because the music's awesome. Oh, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really grateful. Thank you for saying that. Thank you. No, man. I appreciate you taking the time to be on, on our little podcast here. Well, people won't want to talk to me forever. So I'm here while they still do. 
Yeah. Well, and I, I'm, I, you know, hope, hopefully, you know, one day soon in the future, you will be, you'll be back here in Toronto with some 41 and third eye blind again. So, Oh God, that'd be amazing. Yeah. I hope so. Um, Kuma, if you have a one, one extra minute, we do, uh, sometimes we do like a little game. It's like a hot seat round. I'm in. Uh, if you're up for it. Yeah. So it's, uh, 12 questions you got to answer in a minute. Okay. I, I'm, right. I'm on. All right. So we're going to start the clock and we'll go starting now. PlayStation, Xbox, or Nintendo? Nintendo. Led Zeppelin or The Who? Zeppelin. Favorite snack food? Blueberries. Would you rather play a gig in space or undersea? Space. Ah, no, that's a tricky one, but I can name favorite, it. Okay. Favorite instrument outside the traditional band instruments? Uh, cello. Favorite venue? Uh, uh, come on, Barnes Brain. Um, uh, there's a tiny venue in Denver that I forgot the name of, so I'm just okay. going to say um, uh, that one. Okay. Would you rather be covered in fur or covered in scales? Fur, obviously. Uh, favorite Super Smash Bros. character? Dude, did you write this specifically for me? Because I feel like you did. It's, um, oh, God, what's her name? I haven't played Smash Bros. for three months. I've been trying to work. Uh, uh, Zero Suit Samus, that's who I was playing. Liam or Noel Gallagher? Um, uh, uh, no. <laughs> Would you rather only use a fork or only use a spoon for the rest of your life? Oh, you can do everything with a spoon. Spoon. Uh, Go to karaoke song. Um, My Way by Sinatra. Uh, if you could open for any artist ever, who would it be? Zeppelin. There you go, man. We didn't we didn't quite make the minute, but that was fine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I took way too long. It's fine. And, and you read that book, Hammer of the Gods, uh, about Led no. Zeppelin? No. It's amazing. And okay. they, they came out and they said, it, uh, this whole fiasco is what Almost Famous is based on. Like, okay. oh, really? There's that scene in Almost Famous where the guy's standing on the roof and he goes, I'm a golden god. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's one of my favorite movies. But Cameron Crowe is one of my favorite directors. That actually happened. Robert Plant got up from an interview with his shirt off, walks over to the balcony, like mid-sentence, and just goes, I am a golden god. And <laughs> I wrote this book and the band came out and they were like, that book's not true. Just like the band did, right? In Almost Famous. Yeah. They're like, a bunch of lies but the people who they're getting the stories from for the book are all people like their tour managers you know their roadies uh, people who work at the label so you're like and also the stories don't paint them in a super rock and roll light it's not like they're too crazy to be believed yeah it's like they describe uh you know some of them as oh who is it I, I'm, I'm too baked to remember their guitarist name what's his name jimmy page yeah yeah, they describe Jimmy Page and they're like, uh, he was a shy, mousy, retiring man who like had to get his tour managers to go and speak to women for him and say, like, Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. So, so What's I, the I book called? Hammer of the Gods. Hammer of the Gods. And of course, like, there's tons of super, you know, incredible, legendary rock and roll stories in there too. But yeah. I think the nature of the sources and the uh, less than flattering light of some of the stories makes me believe that it's all true and that the band were just trying to cover their ass. Do, do you get some of your fashion uh influence from robert plant because i get a very robert plant vibe i have been very lazy on my tours my last tour i just wore the same jacket every night like with no yeah shit. But that was for the that was specifically you know for the tour it was I, I, 
I think about the last when I saw you, you had this like puffy kind of white shirt. Oh, I love that shirt. I lose so much stuff on tour because I'm so forgetful. Uh, <laughs> I've lost all my favorite shit on tour. I don't have any uh, of that shit. This is. But a, I'm sure in Camden you find lots of great stuff. Yeah, I didn't. I don't know. I didn't. I was quite lazy. That's pretty cool. You got some fringe going on. <laughs> it's literally just a sort of like a carpet. Well, not a carpet. It's like a. a throw for a sofa from the 1920s that i bought in a shop and then i'd ask my friend to turn it into a kimono so i could wear it around the house and feel like a 50s hollywood lady (laughs) (laughs) amazing man so let me ask you as i just i didn't realize you were as big a led zeppelin fan as you are how do you feel about uh greta van fleet um i am just so excited to see like guys as young as them being in a band in a rock and roll band and just killing it mm-hmm. you know like it sounds great um the live shows are great interestingly the guitarist of that band is probably the biggest presence on stage but i don't mind that because like it, as long as there's somebody to watch and it's it's just cool to see like gen z going to a concert and like being into guitar solos yeah you know i, I don't think rock ever left i watch Katy perry concerts and they've got like slamming guitar solos in there because I think yeah. there will never be a genre that is as perfect for live music as rock music, right? Yeah, man. I saw I saw Bruno Mars. Oh, I'm crackling out a bit. I saw Bruno Mars last year, and it was like one more of a rock and roll show than eighty percent of the other shows I saw last year. Because rock and roll will always kill it in that in that area. So, yeah, with Greta Van Fleet, I I love them. I'd go see them. Uh, and I've I've really enjoyed their music. I don't think they're doing anything new, you know? And I think that the saviors of rock and roll will take the genre and do what Kendrick did for hip hop, mm-hmm. um, you know, or Migos, and just like turn up the dial and change something fundamentally in a way that propels the genre forward. So I don't think Greta Van Fleet are going to be a band that necessarily survives the test of time. But, you know, having said that, I, I don't know, you know, it, it's hard to be one of those bands, mm-hmm. you know, um, I, I can't wait uh, for the day when I feel like I've written music <laughs> that I'm like, this is really, yeah, I'm, I'm lucky that I've been able to write music that, that people like, but to be one of those bands that people remember in 50 years is tough. You've got to be amazing. Yeah. And especially now, like there's, I think it was, um. I can't remember who the quote was from, but it always stuck with me that it was like, it might've been like Paul McCartney or something that it was like, in my day, there was hundreds of bands with thousands of fans. Now there's thousands of bands with hundreds of fans. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just more competitive now. Right. But I always say that with Greta Van Fleet too. Like I'm a big, I, I love them to be honest. And when people are always like, well, they sound too much like Zeppelin. It's like, what's wrong with more Zeppelin? <laughs> like what's wrong yeah, with Zeppelin like music? You know, that's like exactly how I feel. I'm like, there's, there's, I've listened to all Zeppelin's shit. Like they're I not putting it. out anything anymore. So not, what's wrong with it, someone else no. doing it? <laughs> I've listened to Zeppelin to death and I wish they were still yeah. putting something out. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just nice to have something in that genre, like like you say, to listen to. And oh man, I love watching that guitar player play. Yeah, sometimes I pull him up on YouTube just to watch his stage performance. Yeah. He's great. Absolutely, man. I was bummed. I was again. I was. I was actually. I was in the UK actually when they were here in Toronto, so I missed them, and I was bummed. But yeah, 
Um, they're, they're super young too, you know, like super young. Yeah, like, they, they, yes, they sound like Zeppelin, but you know, everybody's criticism of the Beatles when they started was this is just an English copy of Elvis. People said that. Yeah. There are interviews with the Beatles where people are like, Hey, how long do you think you can rip off Elvis for? Quote. <laughs> and the Beatles are like, Hey man, we're just happy to be here. You know? Like, right. Yeah. And then they develops into the most influential band of all time. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Greta Van Fleet could well do the same. I mean, think about those guys in five years from now. Hmm. And, and, and let's remember as well, uh, people who would like to naysay about Greta Van Fleet, that Zeppelin started uh, as a covers band, you know, and a lot of Zeppelin songs were written while they were jamming covers. Right. You know? Like a huge amount of the, if you really read about Zeppelin, like a huge amount of their songs were just them playing shit that they liked and then changing it until it sounded like mm-hmm. something else. Yeah. Right down to Dazed and Confused, which apparently was like a direct ripoff of some guy they saw on tour. Really? <laughs> Yeah, and luckily the dude was nice and he liked the song, so he was like, ah, fuck it, I'll just... Now there's a song and a movie. (laughs) And uh, just Stairway to Heaven. That was a a song by Taurus, the band Taurus. Mm -hmm. Like, note for note, the same riff. Really? And and they supported Zeppelin on tour, and Zeppelin were like, that's a cool riff. Yoink! (laughs) And then... And then obviously... Meanwhile, you know, like, 30 years later, I remember, like, Coldplay had, had a song that was like, roughly sounded like some other band's song and then they got sued and now can never play it again. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess the stakes are higher now, you know, I mean, yeah. like you're, nobody's making money. Well, I tell you the record labels are making money from streaming more than they have since the eighties mm-hmm. uh, in terms of music sales as a whole, but the artists uh, aren't making so much money these days. Yeah. Yeah. And I knew, sorry, you asked if I, I knew you were a super smash brothers player because, um, Last time we had talked about that when we were talking about 99. Cause I had pointed out to you that in 99, the N64 hadn't been out yet. And that's what's in the, the video. <laughs> and that's oh, the same reaction. Me. That's the same me reaction off. you had last time. And God uh, damn it. I, I said, I said to the people, like, it's gotta be a Nintendo 64. I had this plan. I'm like, I'm going to blow in the container. Like I did when I was a kid. Yeah. It's, it's gotta be, be a super cool. Nintendo or yeah. yeah Cause uh yeah the, or no the, sorry no 99 you're right sorry it had to be an n64 i didn't know that had to be an n64 and the, they they brought a snes and i remember going in and just thinking like i i cannot be the kind of artist like that is a diva about this right so, i said excuse me i said a nintendo 64 not a dreamcast like, <laughs> what the fuck is this and i was like just just let it go like yeah. i was thinking to myself you're the only one who's going to care about this you know like it and it pained me but i gripped my teeth and i was like and then i put the video out and the first comment i see was like that's not, that's a fucking Dreamcast, not a Nintendo. Like <laughs> 1999, not 1989. This guy yeah. doesn't know shit about video oh, games. Oh my gosh! I said yeah. the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, I have you played? Uh, are you playing? I guess now you. It's funny too. You were like, man, I haven't played Super Smash in like three months. I thought you were gonna say like three years. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, that is like uh, pastime number one on the road. Yeah. Before before we got the tour bus, because now the tour bus you can sleep, which we are in dire need of most of the time. But yeah. uh, in the van, like I would play Smash Brothers tournaments for the better part of four or five hours with yeah. the band. It was. That's. Awesome. I wish I could go back in time to like the twelve year old Barnes, like sat at a writing desk 
when it's sunny outside and just be like, put all of these things down now. <laughs> look, look what I'm doing, you crazy bitch. I just play video games all day. None of this matters. You're going to be a musician. You're going to play Super Smash Brothers all day. <laughs> uh, well, hey, man, hindsight 2020, right? But yeah. Well, man, I don't want to keep you. I don't want to keep you too too long. I'm sure you got other. I'm sure you got more genius songs to write. So, <laughs> all right. Well, yeah, I've, I've got genius to put out. God damn it! No, I'm gonna go eat some pasta. Is what I'm gonna do. Very gonna nice. Well, man, I appreciate you hopping on the call with me. And, oh, thank uh, you for having me. I appreciate you. Thank absolutely, you. man. Well, we'll uh, we'll hopefully see you in in Toronto soon. All right, dude. Absolutely, buddy. Take it easy. I'll see you soon. Later. See you, man. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Adamantium Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd absolutely love for you to subscribe to us on whichever platform you listen to your podcasts. I'd also love to see you on social media. You can follow on Instagram at The Adamantium, on Facebook at The Adamantium Podcast, and on Twitter at Adam R. Harrison. Thank you again so much for listening.